Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to today's show and joining me is UFC fighter Kenny Florian who took to Twitter last week to start talking about Bitcoin. Obviously that came across my radar. Kenny was so um, so gracious to, to accept my DM and come on the show and we're going to get straight into this because it's a brilliant interview. Uh, big thanks to Kenny for coming on and getting back to me. I want to do the usual shill for Swan, swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. Go start stacking sats. They are in the US and they will hold your hand the whole way through the journey and you get a free 10 bucks to kick off. And if you're in the UK, you know where to head to. It's coinfloor.co.uk, Bitcoin only exchange. You can auto buy, set your weekly or daily buys, whatever it is that you want to do on both of these services and start stacking sats. Let's um, let's go. We're on the tip of an almighty bull run, and it's going to be crazy. Glad to have you here listening. Really appreciate you uh, you you supporting the show. And well, let's get to Kenny because this one's a banger. Take care and chat to you after the show. Kenny, man, so much uh, so much to talk about. Thank you so much for joining us. And I've been. Pre-record. We've been holding off the questions for anybody um, that's uh, that's watching this um, because the girls have got some pretty interesting questions. Thanks for joining us, man. This is this is so cool. My pleasure, man. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so um, what do you want to fire away with, Lauren? And don't forget to talk directly into that microphone. Right? Um, my question is: so I heard that you fight. Uh, so yes. my question is. Uh, do you feel bad when you fight the person? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. You know, um, so I, I don't fight anymore. I'm retired. Um, but I think that in the beginning, um, there might be a little bit uh, of maybe uh, maybe some, some hesitancy, if you will, um, when you first start training, because you're not exactly sure, like when you're sparring someone for the first time or you're just kind of new to preparing for a fight, uh, you're not quite sure of you know how hard can you hit and how hard can you get hit. Um, so you're kind of always managing with that space a lot. And I find that after a bunch of experience of sparring, you start to realize that if you don't, I guess, give it 100% or if you're not um, you know, really careful that you can get hurt uh, more than anything else. So uh, not only is it important for you to be, uh, you know, defensively sound, but also um, you, you have to know that when you're going to deliver a strike that you do so with, with precision and to the best of your ability, because that one opening uh, might allow your opponent to go in and then take advantage of, of you. So maybe that one opportunity uh, that you would have had to finish your opponent, for example, uh, would open the door for them to then uh, maybe take advantage of you. So you start to realize that uh, those opportunities uh, for the kill, if you will, um, 
you, you need to take full advantage of it. Uh, so for you to have any kind of remorse in that moment or feeling bad for that person or uh, being hesitant in any way, shape or form uh, could actually be your undoing. So it's uh, it's a balance. I think it, you keep it very professional after the fight. I, I tried to anyway, uh, before and after. But during the fight, um, because in a lot of ways your life is on the line or your health is on the line, um, it, it's important that you kind of recognize, well, it's either them or me. So we were watching, um, I can't remember the fight we were watching. Sorry, Kenny, and sorry to mm. your opponent for not giving him the, the, the correct no shout out. <laughs> but um, after the fight, um, did you see that they were like, uh, they, yeah, they showed like a lot friends. of respect? So yeah. Like you, you're like hugging each other after that humongous <laughs> fight of trying to yeah. kill each other. Kill <laughs> each other. But it's what it looks like. Extreme. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> So, Caitlin, do you have a question you want to ask him? Yeah. Okay. Um, what do you think of Mr. Miyagi's teaching methods? <laughs> you know what? It's so funny. I uh, Like, that was such a family movie for, for me and my family. Like, we probably saw that, like, once a week forever, uh, the Karate Kid. And then, you know, really mainly the, the first Karate Kid. And we saw the rest of the movies. But... Uh, and I still haven't seen Cobra Kai, by the way. I still need to check it out. But uh, I, I think that he was kind of your prototypical uh, sensei or teacher in that um, he didn't just give you the information, that he made you work for it. And, and it's kind of like um, if we were to go fishing and uh, I went out and got all the fish and I go, here you go, guys. This is fishing. Here's a fish. Here's a fish. And here's a fish. Um, but his method of teaching was always very impressive because he showed that there, that the lesson is in that, that the student essentially, uh, needs to learn themselves, that they can't just get the information and then run with it, that there is a process of them discovering, um, the method, right? So it's kind of this interplay between student and teacher, um, and it, you, you can't just hand someone something. It's almost like, uh, you know, if, if I want to help someone, sometimes just giving them money isn't the best way. Uh, if I just gave someone cash and like, this is going to solve the problem. Uh, oftentimes it doesn't, it's more like, all right, how do I give this person the tools to figure out how to get that money? That is more valuable than anything else. And I think that Mr. Miyagi, and I think a lot of good teachers, uh, find that balance of giving them the information and giving them enough, but also allowing for that self-discovery process in the student of saying, okay, here's the information, but now you got to work hard for it. And I think, especially in regards to kids or anything like that, I think um, that kind of, um, you know, delayed gratification uh, lesson is one of the most important things is that you may not see the benefits right now, but you will see it down the line. And, and I think that, um, those are always seem for me to be the most powerful lessons. Mr. Miyagi would have been a Bitcoiner, like that everything yeah, exactly, that Kenny was just exactly. saying. As right I there. said, that, I go, you know what? That seems like Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask you to get uh, your favorite scene in, in Karate Kid, Caitlin. Any scene with Daniel in. <laughs> <laughs> And this is the thing, Kenny. She refuses to watch Cobra Kai because she doesn't want to see Daniel LaRusso as an older no, guy. No, I, I, I can't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that's that's it. so funny. 
That's so no funny. way. And she's she's fifteen, so she's still living in like the. When were we watching that? That must have been mid eighties, right? Yeah, that, in the eighties. Uh, in the eighties for sure. Okay. Yeah. Lauren, do you remember fa- favorite scene of Karate Kid? Um. Oh, wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. Yes. How about you, Kenny? I think my favorite scene, and it's a long. I, I'm gonna like extend it a little bit, but it it encompasses the whole scene, I guess, is the Halloween scene where Daniel LaRusso decides he wants to get some revenge uh, on his rivals, and you know he dresses up as the shower. You know, curtain, and he goes in there and he puts some water on on their, uh, you know, when they're in the bathroom uh, stall, and uh, they go in and chase him, and they end up kind of beating him up. And coming from the shadows is Mr. Miyagi, who kind of comes in to save the day. And uh, you see this old man kind of destroy this whole team of uh, young karate black belts, which I thought was really cool. So that, that's probably my favorite favorite scene. <laughs> Excellent, and for me, I'm just a sucker for the uh, the crane kick at the end. You know, I could, I couldn't get enough of that. You know, especially <laughs> after the, um, the 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 hand rubbing and you know coming back from the dead and Miyagi's magic hands. Daniel Larusso is yeah, gonna you, fight. Yeah, <laughs> sweep the leg, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> have you? Uh, do you have kids? I do. I have. I have a a, a daughter that is going to be three next month. Um, and then I have a, uh, a baby boy on the way in May. So, uh, working on a couple, working on a couple. Congrats. Yeah. Thank they you. have all of, all of this ahead of them. Uh, so they, exactly. you can, they can watch, they can watch Karate Kid and then watch some of YouTube of dad kicking ass. And like, <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> oh yeah. Don't use it'll that. It'll be my turn. It'll be my turn to be Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do you have any further questions before you, uh, nope. Nope. No. Okay. Because he usually wants us to ask one too. Because then we. Oh yeah, but that's the limit because otherwise he has no other questions. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) And then the podcast will be over. But I was listening to the Toxic Happy Hour earlier, and everybody is there is calling for me to step aside, like do a Satoshi on my own podcast, and let the girls take over. (laughs) That that means you got you girls are doing a good job. Yeah. Exactly. The students become the master, Daddy. right, Kenny? Exactly. exactly. This is the problem, right? Daddy. This is the problem. <laughs> what? When I'm like older, I really want to do a podcast with you. Okay. Well, you want to interview me? Yeah. Right? Okay, yeah. sure. But but when you come older, you'll be the queen of Bitcoin podcasts. Don't you worry. <laughs> All right. Say goodbye to Kenny. Okay, bye. Thank, Thank you. you guys. Thank you, guys. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Bye. Thanks, man. I'll just switch the uh, the headphones over. So, yeah, really uh, huge thanks for you to to getting back to me because the, and course. to give some context to the listeners, uh, you know, uh, we, we spoke about this. Um, we did a uh, a prequel. Um, I I don't follow your sport, and mm-hmm. I I had not heard of um, uh, of you at all. But then all of a sudden, bam you tweet something about Bitcoin and what? Like there's another pro athlete out there that, that stack and sats and (laughs) clearly in the rabbit hole, like, like, like down it. Um, And this was on the back of, um, of Jack's uh, tweets and, uh, and Russ's tweets. Uh, And I'll just read it. um, So everybody's up to speed who, who's listening to this and might not have seen it or watching on YouTube. 
Uh, as a pro MMA fighter, you pay for management, coaches, travel, equipment, nutrition, etc. Your body pays a price as well. With US dollars being devalued, and if I was still fighting, I'd want to get paid in Bitcoin. Invest in it to save your hard-earned money or ask at Jack Mallers for help. So, and then like um, so many retweets, like almost 3,000 likes. Um, the replies and comments just went crazy. And uh, here we are having this opportunity to sit down and, uh, and talk about Bitcoin and uh, wherever else we, we might end up. So when did you find Bitcoin? Or, or I guess a better question is, how did Bitcoin find you? Because that generally right. seems to be the way it works. Right. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think I first heard about it around 2015, 2016, I believe. Um, and, you know, I, I was very close to investing uh, in it. I had a few different properties at the time. So uh, I guess I felt like I was a little strapped, uh, you know, money wise and was kind of waiting to move some properties and, you know, was in the process of moving out to Los Angeles and all that stuff. And, um, and, and I just didn't, you know, I, I didn't really know much about it. I, I learned about it a little bit. There wasn't a whole lot of information about it. And it got me really curious because, here I saw this kind of um, initially, you know, this disruptive technology. It was certainly new than what we uh, were using uh, at that point. And um, yeah, I just kind of said, you know what? Now's not the right time. I'm, I just got too much stuff going on. Um, and it wasn't until about 2017 where I started uh, learning a little bit more about uh, cryptocurrencies in general. Uh, and um, yeah, started investing in different things, and Bitcoin was one of those things. And then I started learning more about Bitcoin, and um, started just kind of forgetting about the other cryptocurrencies and being like, "What am I doing? Like, Bitcoin's the thing. Like, this is unbelievable." And it's just kind of gotten deeper and deeper uh, over the years. And um, now there's just a plethora of information out there. Um, you can learn a lot. You could see that um, as deep as it goes and as uh, game changing as it is, I still think there's so many other things that we can use Bitcoin uh, for and that it will be used uh, that it will be used for in the future. Um, so that's just really exciting. And, and I think things like that have always fascinated me, you know, as a martial artist and I guess anybody, whether you kind of do anything. We're always trying to look for more efficient ways of doing things. We're always trying to look for the most effective ways, the quickest ways, um, without sacrificing, you know, efficiency and all those things. And when you see something like Bitcoin that is doing just that with such simplicity and effectiveness and speed, um, you start to question, what the heck are we doing right now? Why aren't we switching towards this? And um, yeah, so it, it just it, it starts to grab a hold of you and in the process of learning about Bitcoin, you don't just learn about Bitcoin itself. You learn about the monetary systems and economics and, you know, uh, business and what makes things work. And, you know, for anyone who has had a business before, you know, I, you know, get martial arts uniforms made and different things. And I deal with other countries like Pakistan and all these different things. And 
you know, wiring money to people is, is a pain in the ass. And just going through that whole process, is, it, it's not very quick. It's not very efficient. It, it, it's more costly. And um, so immediately I just kind of saw the effectiveness of Bitcoin. And then it's just kind of been continually dragging me down this hole like it has to so many other people where it's like, man, this is this is mind blowing. It, 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 it truly is uh, revolutionary. It's that there's so many parallels there with um, the philosophies of of your of your sport, and you, you touched on a few of them there, like the efficiency, effectiveness, uh, speed, um, the, and then like the, this low time preference as well. You you have to, from what I understand of martial arts, and I've not studied it, but you you've got to know when to react right and it's not like just go in go all out and like high time preference swinging around all over the place that's going to get you killed um (laughs) so it's it's fascinating that something like bitcoin can resonate with, with so many people across so many different disciplines and here we are falling on martial arts um and then let's talk about that. What, you know, what brought you to, to the, that rabbit hole? You know, growing up, uh, you know, how, how did you find, um, how did your family find itself in America? And, and how did you find yourself growing up and uh, being drawn into the, the art of whatever it is? What was it first? Maybe it was something like karate or judo or right. I don't know exactly. Exactly. You know, so... Um... My, my both of my parents are actually from Peru in South America, and uh, they moved uh, to the United States uh, in the late 60s. My dad was doing his training uh, at University of Maryland and then later at Harvard, and we end up uh, at, in, in Boston, um, and that's, that's where I grew up outside of Boston, and uh, my dad was a pretty busy guy, but you know, uh, during his high school and college years, um, he took judo and was a practitioner of judo, ended up getting his black belt and, you know, learned so many lessons uh, from judo and, and wanted us all to kind of learn how to defend ourselves. So that was kind of always in me. Uh, he was um, fond of uh, history and, and um, uh, war. And that was something that we discussed or I'd hear him talk about all the time was politics and war and all these different things. So I think that, probably had some kind of influence on me of being kind of enthralled with that and um, the art of war and what makes someone effective and strategy and tactics and um, everything in between. Um, So, you know, and then of course that led to, you know, being me being a lover of uh, Kung Fu theater and Bruce Lee movies and action movies. And, you know, uh, yeah, it was just always fascinating to me. I, I, so I did, you know, karate. That's what I started out with. Um, I did it as a, as a kid. I was about, uh, I think I started right, right around nine or 10 years old. Uh, but ultimately, I, I was involved in other sports and, and was playing soccer, um, you know, in the club teams. And I was traveling all over the United States and traveling all over the world where, you know, eventually I had to make a decision, you know, is it going to be soccer or karate? You know, am I going to be a professional karate guy? That really wasn't realistic back in the day, even though I loved it. I always felt this kind of religious connection to, to the martial arts, but soccer kind of took over. And, um, and, uh, you know, eventually it wasn't until college, I was at Boston college where I kind of reconnected with martial arts and, you know, saw this or heard about this skinny Brazilian guy named Hoist Gracie and the Gracie family. Uh, and they were showing, uh, 
an amazing effectiveness uh, of martial arts skill. Uh, and it was such a different approach. You know, I kind of grew up thinking that the most dangerous martial artist was one that could uh, hit you with one strike and kill you. Um, when in reality, you know, there was so much more to that. Um, and in came the Gracies with their style of grappling. And they said, yeah, you could potentially hit me, but the closer I get to you, the, the quicker that I'm able to clinch and control you, um, the less effective your strike is. In order to land a strike, you're going to have to utilize your feet on the floor, create force from the floor, uh, and then get momentum enough to the point with your structure of your body where you can land uh, that perfect shot. Um, and they realized that if they're able to close that gap quickly enough and get underneath those strikes, that they could then take you down to the ground and then all of your strikes would be useless. If you are pinned to the floor and punching up, you have gravity against you, you have uh, your opponent's weight on top of you, uh, which makes you less effective. Um, and it was so different from your typical martial arts or what we considered our typical martial arts that you kind of felt this jolt in your body where it was like, wait a sec, this can't be right. This questions everything that I ever thought to be true. This is impossible. Let's see if, okay, he won this fight. Let's see if he wins the next one. And he did. And then he won the next fight and became the champion uh, against all different styles. So then, of course, it turned the martial arts world upside down. They said, okay, well, we need to do this again. We're going to do this again and again and again. And tournament after tournament, he was successful. And what was even more impressive was that he was six foot, 168 pounds soaking wet. And he did it in a traditional martial arts uniform uh, against guys that were of all weight classes and there were no rules. And the fact that he was able to do that just got people thinking. And you did one of two things. Either you denied that it was true and you, you started saying it was fake or you started learning Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I feel like this is kind of where we're at with Bitcoin, right? It's like, yes. it, 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 it will either shock you to your core, to your like, this can't be true. This questions the whole system that I've been involved in. Or you go, maybe I should learn this stuff and see what this is all about. Oh, man. Again, ties, ties in perfectly. Absolutely. Per <laughs> and you took the words out of my mouth. It just, yeah. all right. So Bruce Lee or Gracie? If that fight were to go down. <laughs> oh, man. You know, um, it's so hard because Bruce Lee actually, uh, you know, would train in grappling. He was so far ahead of his time uh, with his approach. It's hard because they're, they're just they're guys from two different eras. And, you know, I think like anything else, technology kind of always gets better. And I think Bruce Lee in his time. Um, was probably the best martial artist in the world at the time, as far as we know. Uh, but you'd have to say the same thing about Hoist Gracie in his time. And now we're at a different level now, and we will continually do that. And I think if we're doing things right from an engineering perspective or from a martial arts perspective, from a combat perspective, is that we should be getting better. We, we stand on the shoulders of giants and that we're learning from previous systems and and refining it and making it better and and just like bitcoin i think we're seeing that it, it's it's now it has this infra infrastructure and this foundation that now that is so strong um that now it's getting ready to truly run and really build into something massive yeah for sure so so just to ask you a question again about um you know mixing these um uh you know, fighting styles. 
What was your take on the the McGregor Mayweather matchup? Because for me, as a complete outsider, you know, I'll watch a bit of boxing if there's a big thing coming on. Um, yes. The UFC just wasn't on my radar for whatever reason, and then all of a sudden, this fight comes out of nowhere, and I want to be on pay per view TV. I want to be somewhere. I want to be watching this because it just yes. felt like a bit of a historic moment where you know two paths are meeting you know you've got the disruptor on one side and you've got the the, the pugilist on the other side that are defending yes. the the art of you know, how old is boxing you know yes. and so yes. did, what what were you feeling then did you were you for it did you think it was a bit of a circus what what was the you know it's a great question i, I was i was thoroughly intrigued um by the fact that here we were with, you know, who many people believed was the best mixed martial artist in and around Mayweather's weight class, and then perhaps the greatest boxer of all time. So that alone made it fascinating. And, and the fact that, you know, really two fighters from different sports were going to go at it, that that was intriguing. And then, you you know, that kind of compounds the fact that these are two of the best promoters uh, both sports have ever had ever seen. I mean, Conor McGregor, you give him a mic. You want to see him fight, whether you want to see him lose or whether you want to see him win. You want to see it. And Mayweather <laughs> yeah. was kind of the same way. So it was like it was almost like two supervillains about to fight. And you're like, I, I got to see this fight. I, I want to see it. I want to see who wins. Um, however, there was the other side of me that said, well, listen, he's going into Mayweather's realm. Mayweather is a master boxer. Conor McGregor is very good at boxing for mixed martial arts. And there's a big difference. You know, it's tough to go into that specificity uh, and expect results against, you know, perhaps the greatest boxer of all time. So I covered a lot of the event. I, I covered, I think, every single event that they had uh, leading up to their fight. And it was fascinating. It was cool. Uh, it was historic. Um, but, you know, I think we would have seen the same result in reverse. Had Mayweather gone over and fought Conor McGregor in mixed martial arts, it would have been, you know, maybe a three-minute fight, a two-minute fight. Conor McGregor would have been all over him and, and would have defeated him. So, you know, it, they, both do, do, they both do two different things. And I think um, what we saw was what I expected uh, for the most part. And uh, yeah, we all know Mayweather loves loves his money, right? Uh, yeah. Do we have any idea? Do we have any idea whether he's ever bought any Bitcoin? Has that ever, has he that should. ever surfaced? He should. I know he likes to spend money too. So, well, he's going to have fun staying poor then, Kenny, isn't he? That's uh... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you mentioned <laughs> you bloody hell that could become a meme. Um, <laughs> Not, not one I might, not one I might want to go too far. Right. Uh, you you mentioned your dad and um, having a big influence on you coming over from Peru. What what was his profession? What 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 so, what so brought him was, from Peru? Right. So he was a thoracic and cardiovascular surgeon. So he went to undergrad and medical school in Peru, and then um, you know decided to do his training in the United States uh, initially to you know learn in the United States and then go back to Peru. But obviously, you know, going to the United States, I, I think he felt this um, huge sense of opportunity, um, both in learning and in perhaps, you know, opening up a, a business, his own practice uh, in the United States. So, um, you know, I think as he 
was exposed to something bigger than what he was used to. Um, you know, he realized, you know, the, the great value of being in the United States and all the opportunities that he had here. So um, eventually, you know, uh, he was married when he came over. Um, my, my mom was, was quite young at the time. And, um, you know, before they knew it, uh, you know, my oldest brother was born and then my other brother was born. Then my sister was born. I'm number four out of six kids. Um, so, you know, just from traveling around and, um, you know, being in the United States and, and training, uh, he decided to just stay there. So, you know, he was also kind of a, a trailblazer in that, you know, I think anytime you leave your own country and, and you decide to live somewhere else, I think it's, um, it takes a certain amount of courage and faith and belief in yourself, uh, and willingness to do something new. Um, so he's like, the ultimate optimist. He's a very optimistic guy. You know, he's always talking about possibilities. And um, I think I definitely carry that with, with me. I always believed that I can do certain things. So I, I think that was a big gift that he gave to me is seeing opportunity and taking risks, believe in yourself, go for it. You don't know if you don't try. Is he still with us, Kenny? He is. He is. Yeah. yeah. Both both my parents, luckily, are, are with 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 uh, with me still. And um, you know, my dad has gone through a lot. Even you know, being a physician, he had a you know about with uh, stomach cancer uh, that he was able to recover from, and then went back to work after that. And you know, then again, with he had you know a little bout of prostate cancer, which wasn't as big of a deal, but um, he's certainly seen some ups and downs, and and uh, you know, come back strong and recovered from some pretty tough circumstances so he's he's a tough guy in his own right man no wonder you go the distance in the ring <laughs> my goodness and have you managed to have you managed to pill him have you managed to uh bring him around to the uh the the orange pill and oh man the rabbit I've, hole of bitcoin i've talked to them so many times uh and <laughs> uh my mom has recently you know she has her little little pool of money that she plays with and um, she recently uh, purchased some. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think. <laughs> yes, Mrs. Florian, this is amazing. <laughs> I'd be lying to you if, uh, you know, I said that it was a quick process. I certainly uh, had to do my convincing and uh, talk to them many, many times, uh, FaceTime and phone calls and kind of going over the data and all this stuff. And so, you know, you know, then my, my dad's, you know, in his eighties now and, uh, my mom, you know, a little bit younger than that, but, uh, you know, so they, they have, you know, their comfort level, they're retired and they're fine. But, um, I, I did tell them what was at stake and, you know, I think, um, not necessarily for me, but, you know, for the family, I, I think there is an opportunity for, for generational wealth there. And, and, you know, um, I, again, I think it's it's a wonderful opportunity uh, to to get involved at any age, and um, you know, anytime I have the opportunity to talk about Bitcoin and, and kind of spread spread the good word as best I can. Anyway, um, it, it's it's a pleasure. You know, I, I love talking about. it. I think anyone who has been down the rabbit hole loves yeah. learning about it and discussing it. And I think, you know, like Richard Feynman said, you want to learn about something, teach it. You know, talk about it. Uh, so. It's it's so true, and you touch on something there that that resonated with me actually when I interviewed Michael Saylor, and it's about generational wealth. And you know, I, I I'm from the UK, <clears throat> um, so there's 
when Americans talk about generational wealth, it's it's a different mindset. I, I don't right. think you know, even those from all over Europe, it, it's a different mindset. Um, and and Michael said something along the lines of, you know, he he was accepted to go to MIT on a scholarship because, and the only reason he could go on a scholarship because I think like two or three semesters would have wiped out two hundred years of family wealth. And you're like, holy crap, that that. Bam! Penny drops, yeah. right? The sat drops. He like, yeah. oh my god! No wonder, um, you know, America is still like the you know the, the biggest buying force of Bitcoin. And another guy I, I had on the show, uh, Stackmore. Uh, you know, he's he lives in Turkey. He's Turkish, going through hi- hyperinflation. He says the way I orange pill my friends is I, I say to them, why do you think the richest nation in the world is the biggest buyer of Bitcoin? They have US dollars and they're exchanging it for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And now it, I'm trying to, it's kind of coming full circle. You you saying this, and I think about you and your family, your family's experience, your dad leaving Peru, coming to build a, a, with his young wife, a completely new, big risk, right? Completely right. new career and family in a foreign country. And it's probably got to a point in life where you're living very comfortably, but that's being inflated away. It's being stolen. And to have worked so hard for that is 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 heartbreaking. Uh, 100%. And, and I think that, you know, for my parents, I think it, it also uh, hit home. Since I've, you know, been around, um, I know that my parents went through at least maybe two or three different currencies, per- Peruvian currencies. You know, it was like, really? you know, the Intis, the Solis, you know, it like it's gone through that process. They know what that's like. They know that's possible. They felt it. Um, you know, th- their pocketbooks have been affected. They'd seen uh, the stuff. We have uh, family in Venezuela. I mean, what, what is it, – it's unbelievable what's going on down there. By the way, my family actually uh, in Venezuela, they have various Bitcoin – uh, ATMs and things that they've put around that they're investing in. But anyways, you know, this is a real thing. Uh, and we thought that, you know, hey, this is more for, uh, you know, underdeveloped countries or third world countries like, you know, the countries in South America or Latin America. Well, the reality is, is that this is happening all over the world and it has the potential to happen all over the world. And, you know, the fact that Bitcoin has come into the fold now, you know, it it deletes that possibility if you accept it and if everybody gets on board and that, you know, trust in, um, in math and in the protocol is, is something that is extremely powerful. It is so, it is so simple. Uh, and it's almost the beauty is in its simplicity. And I think so much of that genius, um, kind of, you see that all over the world with, with things like that, because, if you make something so complex, there's so much that can go wrong with it. You know, if you try to tinker with all these little things, but if you give it this kind of broad uh, protocol and you have these a few simple rules, then it allows for creativity and growth. And I think that's kind of the brilliance of Bitcoin, really, is that um, it, it, it allows for so much. And as far as you know, preserving your wealth in the future uh, and sending it to any country you want as quickly as you want and being able to do business all over the world and instantaneously, I think, gives us so much more opportunity to save and create and do. And th- that really isn't a possibility. There are, not really, not, not for the people that are, you know, 
trying to get started or trying to just trying to buy a home or just trying to buy a car or you're trying to move out of a rental or trying to move out of low income housing or, you know, it's for everybody. It it really is. It really is for everybody. Have you seen any of your fellow fighters, um, those that are still fighting or those that may have, um, you know, uh, after their career come, come to this same decision as you, are you seeing any kind of pickup in that, in the UFC world? You know, it's funny. I've been hit up by a few fighters now, um, you know, from some of the, the tweets and things that I put on social media. I, I don't put a lot out on it. I, I, I think it's super important for people to learn about it. Um, but I do think there's a lot of other people uh, in this space that do a tremendous job of, of delivering that message. So, um, but, you know, I, I do think it's important. So every once in a while, when I feel, feel inspired, I'll, I'll, I'll tweet about it. And, you know, Fighters have come to me and, and, you know, private message me or texted me and say, hey, what's this thing all about and blah, blah. And I kind of explain it. And some people have dabbled in, and gone into Bitcoin, which is super cool. And, you know, I, I think more people have it and people outside of it, people that I, I haven't really talked to. I know that there's other fighters, um, you know, maybe a handful of fighters that I know of. Uh, that are getting involved in Bitcoin and, and investing in it. And, you know, they're doing other cryptocurrencies, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I hope that, um, you know, they really see that you know, Bitcoin really is is the thing. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it's happening slowly. And, you know, it's said all the time, but it's very true. We are still in such an early stage of this, which is really exciting you know that that's a, that's a good thing that we're at this point where it's you know in and around 35 36 thousand dollars per bitcoin right now and not many people know about it and if they know about it they don't understand it and and that's the big thing and it takes time for people to really understand the genius of something you know so many times it's overlooked or we think we have the answers because you didn't you didn't dig in deep you know and um i think people are uh overlooking genius all the time um and then one day they're like oh i heard about that how is that thing this big now how did i miss that because you didn't dig deep you didn't go to learn at learn it with humility and with curiosity we are still so early we're, we're not even in we're not even in the ring yet kenny I, that's what <laughs> i think i mean that's what i think i truly do and, and you know yeah so the the most requested person on this show i always ask if you had one orange pill left to give who would you give it to and <laughs> why and we talked about this before uh we had a, a warm-up call actually with john vallis and i hope you go and do his show because uh he's he's way more into the fighting side and he'll do a much better job but um the 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 answer has overwhelmingly been joe rogan because obviously of his reach um, but he has such close ties to the UFC, and now mm. you're coming out and talking about uh, Bitcoin on Twitter. We need we need uh, Ken Flo on the Joe Rogan show right now. <laughs> this is what to. needs to happen. I, I would love to. You know, I, I've known Joe a, a long time. He's a guy who has always kind of uh, looked into the future a bit, and has always been very open minded. And he is, geez. I mean, arguably the most powerful voice for men, you know, 18 to 45, pretty much. I mean, he's an absolute beast uh, with what he's done with his podcast. It's uh, and a guy who's just really been successful at every single thing he's done. So he's an impressive dude um, and, a, and a great guy. 
Um, I would love to do that. I would love to talk talk to Joe Rogan. Um, you know, when we talked about this, I, you know, the first thing I thought of is like, hey, you know what? I know this isn't realistic, but let's just talk to, you know, the, the future president, uh, uh, Joe Biden, and <laughs> try to get him in a room. And he can't leave until we've sent in all the big guns, you know, Michael Saylor and, you know, all those guys and one after another, uh, just kind of get him to understand it. But I think, listen, hey, the United States has always been a leader in, in a lot of different things. Um, and I think that like, what's more American than Bitcoin, in my opinion? Like, what is more, you know, you, we, we want to call ourselves a sovereign country. We want to call ourselves, you know, the land of the free. Well, if we went in and adopted something like Bitcoin, a lot of other countries would start to adopt. I mean, every, every single institution, anyone with a brain would start to realize, okay, this, this is huge. And you know what? They just might. But it's a way different situation of being forced into have to doing something as opposed to choosing to doing something. And I think that um, the United States would be positioned very well to choose to go into this and see the value of it and, and get it going and do something new and be a leader. You know, that's what we were known for. But let's continue on that path. And again, we're at this turning point of history, aren't we? We, we are. Because, you know, if you're here now and if you're in this space and you understand it and you've done the, they're not even hard yards, to be honest. You've done, they're, they're easy yards because it's just so damn intellectually stimulating. It, it's right. intuitive. People say to me all the time, oh, I can't understand that. You know, I've never understood finance. You're like, no, you you were never supposed to understand the big world of finance. None of us were. And I worked in it for 18 years. And I've learned more in the, year, the last year and a half than ever, ever before on anything about so much because Bitcoin touches absolutely everything. Mm. Um, so if we can just get, because we know there's going to be there will be a government, there will be a, a, a country or there will be a, a nation state that just turns around and says, we're done, we're going to Bitcoin. And it's going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, if you're not the first, well, yeah, like Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last, right? It's, uh... <laughs> you don't want to be last in this because there's not going to be much left, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But it's funny, you know, I, I, I think we're at the point, and I truly believe this, um, that you know, institutions in general are, are, are trying to create this FUD and they're trying to create this scare and fear because I think a lot of them that really know the space and really know what Bitcoin can do, they want to get it at a bargain. They want to get, they want to get it at a good deal and they want to buy as much of it as they can. If they're smart, that's what they would do, right? That's what any of us would do. Once you realize the value of it, it's like anything else. It's like, when I go in to buy a car, whether it's new or used, I don't tell you why I want to buy the car. I tell you why all the reasons I shouldn't buy the car, you know, <laughs> like, ah, this isn't the color I want. What do you think, babe? You know, it really would like more room. I don't know. Uh, this is all you have. Huh? Right. Did you notice this little scratch over here on the, you know, I'm talking about all the, so I can get the thing at a better price, you know, and that's what a lot of these institutions I think are doing once they realize like, oh my God, this is. We need to get more of this stuff, and, and, and that's what's happening. And, and it's and people are buying into it, and, and and they're creating this fear. And all these people that should be getting it, and all these other institutions that should be getting it, aren't because they're getting played. I, I mean, that's that's what I think. You're 100 percent right. Yeah. That th- this is happening. 
There's there's yeah. no doubt. Um, you know, because this is this is the story of Wall Street. And as Wall Street comes in, this is that the, they're gonna pull the same kind of shit that they've always pulled, and it will just be uh, huge amounts of FUD um to try and suppress or push down the price. Uh they'll try and whale it, you know, they'll they'll buy a lot and then try and sell it in, in huge amounts to to push down mm-hmm. the price and shake out the weak hands. Mm-hmm. As hodlers and as people that have been here before and have experienced this kind of stuff, we, we try our best through these podcasts and whatever else to, uh, whether it's writing or, or YouTube videos or memes, to try and educate people like, you know, just just take it slow. Just DCA, yeah. um, FCA, yeah. fiat cost average into this thing. They'll come, they'll play their games, they'll do whatever they need to do. But at the end of the day, this is, it's not get rich quick, it's uh you know gain your financial freedom slowly is the way i try and explain it to people mm-hmm. um but then you know to your point earlier you've said a couple of times people come in they get the white eyes they see the shit coins and they start messing around with those things and uh they're gonna get wrecked they're gonna get their fingers burnt then they right. might go away forever uh, well, we just hope it's different this time absolutely you know and and listen i i think it's important for me to share my experience like that's kind of how I started. I was like, oh, I can't really afford Bitcoin. You know, like I think I got into Bitcoin around in and around a thousand dollars, maybe something like that or whatever it was. But like before that, I was like, oh, that's way too expensive. You know, I I, 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 I see more potential in these other, you know, shit coins or whatever the heck it is. And I, what if I get this and get that? And, and you end up getting burned eventually. You know, it's like people say they're trying to do a certain thing, but. You know, and maybe they're well-intentioned, maybe they're not. A lot of them are scams. There's no doubt about that. But even still, it's like, you know, Sailor has said this time and time again. They're the leader. You know, Bitcoin's the leader. They're the Facebook. They're the Google. They're so far ahead of everybody else. Like, there's no catching up now, man. Like, um, so anyways, and just the overall value and capabilities of the network is, is just so insane that, um even if you're able to get a little bit of Bitcoin, you can do it and you do it over time. And everyone thinks that like, oh, I can't buy a whole Bitcoin. Well, you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You get a little like that's one of the more common misconceptions. It's something yeah. that's so simple, but people don't realize like you can get one one millionth of a Bitcoin if you want. Like it does not a big deal. Anyways. Yeah, you can just get a few sets, get 10 yeah. bucks worth. Um, yeah, you know, start slow. Um, yeah, whatever you can. And Swan in the U.S. for the U.S. listeners, that's you know, you sign up, you get a free ten bucks, and there you um, th- th- you're away. That's it. You, you you start you start stacking. Yep. Kenny, I want to ask you more about your your fighting career, your fighting career, and then I'm going to um, tie it all up again into Bitcoin. Mm. I think it's going to happen naturally anyway. But how the hell do you end up in you know uh, a, a ring surrounded in like chain link fence? trying to beat each other to death is it's still just so alien to me that uh, th- there must have been, okay, sure, like, you know, studying karate or judo or something as a, as a teenager or whatever else, that, that that is still so far away from what you ended up doing. And for those people listening that, that don't know anything about your career, you are one of the only two fighters that's ever fought across four weight divisions, which, again, mm-hmm. is just... I mean, man, come on, that, that's that's huge. Yeah, <laughs> How do you do you. that? Uh, first of all, um, so we're, we're right. Yeah, let, let, we'll try and we'll try and peel back the onion. Yeah, 
you you go from Daniel LaRusso <laughs> going from yellow belt trying to go through brown up to black whatever uh, you know, at what point did you like I can probably make money out of this and when did UFC kind of like present itself to you you know I, I think like anything else um I think it, it needs to start anytime you want to be, I guess, successful or whatever it is, you, you need to have a love for what you do. And again, I, I can't explain it, but the first time I ever went into a martial arts dojo, I felt almost like it was a religious experience. I, I, I like, like the whole world stopped. The only thing that was happening at that moment in time was me practicing karate as a nine or 10 year old. Um, and I think it's just, you know, what, whether it was, you know, all the stories that have been told to me about war and martial arts and combat, I, I felt like I was in that. Um, and yeah, you know, and then I, reconnecting with it in college, I had no intention um, of becoming a professional fighter. I just wanted to learn and be good at it. I was just fascinated by it. And um, over time, you know, I, I felt also this kind of sense of fear. Um, and I realized, you know what, I either need to run away from it or I need to run towards it. And I chose to ultimately run towards it. And, um, I decided to try a jujitsu tournament. Let's see what happens if I do a grappling tournament and I did well, and I did more and I did more and I did more. And, you know, I had some success, a little bit of failure, some success, more success. And then I kind of went from like the small local scene to the more regional scene and to the national scene and to the more uh, world level. Um, and each time trying a little bit more and doing a little bit more and kind of recalibrating and kind of climbing up slowly but surely. Um, and then there was this next challenge of, okay, Kenny, you've, you've done well, you've done okay on the grappling scene. How would you do against another trained mixed martial arts fighter in a real fight. Like, okay, you've done your grappling matches, but what would you do against another dude who's trained as a martial artist and he wants to hurt you? How would you do it? And I was like, okay, all right, I'm listening. I just want to try this once and see how it goes. And I won and I decided I, I needed to do it again and again. And then ultimately I, I found myself on this show it was the first season uh, of the ultimate fighter and the UFC had done their inaugural season of putting a bunch of fighters in a house and they essentially had to fight each other week by week, every week until we discovered who, who the champion would be in each weight class. I was the smallest guy in the weight class. I was the least experienced guy in the weight class. And somehow I ended up getting to the finals of the competition. Um, and I went out there and I was like a deer in the headlights. And man, I'd be lying if I told you that I didn't get my ass kicked. I mean, I, I got my butt kicked badly and it was a horrible thing. And the reason I did more than anything else was I beat myself. I let fear take over. And I thought about, the contract. And I thought about all my friends watching me and I thought about, you know, how the other guy was going to be way more experienced. And I thought about all these other things that weren't important um, instead of focusing on being in the moment. And that just did not sit well with me. And I said, you know what, there's a lot more to this mixed martial arts. It isn't just about skill. It's about honing your mind and being 
sharp up here and having a warrior mindset and being as stoic as possible and not letting your emotions take over. And so I started working on that. I said, you know what? I can't retire after this. I'm not going to stop after this. I'm going to make a go at this and I'm going to make a real concerted effort at being the best martial artist I can be. And um, luckily I was able to find success doing that. I, I fought for three different world championships and two different weight classes and, um, you know, learned so much and trained with some of the best martial artists in the world. And, um, what a treat that was. Um, so it's something that, uh, obviously, you know, competing, I think at any level, um, or at a high level, I should say, you're going to find a lot of lessons that, uh, translate to everyday life. And, to me, it gave me so much importance and uh, so much understanding uh, that I, I kind of started looking at everything through that martial arts lens in a way. And it's this is it, the voice in the head that is so important. And this this goes for everyone, anyone that's listening, you know, uh, and myself included. You know, I, I've talked to myself out of so many different uh, projects or um, opportunities because it's the voice in the head that tells you you're not good enough or you're going to fail or what would so-and-so think? Um, what, what would your parents think? You're going to let them down. You're going to make a fool of yourself. And it's honestly, it, it's absolutely everything. Whether it's you, you might have a good idea for a business. It's the best idea for 15 seconds until you get shot down by yourself if you're in your own head. What are some tactics people can use to, to overcome that? Jace, you know, I think that's a great point. I, I'll say this. I think that you many times we can be defined by how willing we are to fight for something. You know, it's like, are you willing to fight over, you know, uh, a chocolate bar that fell on the floor? Eh, not really. You know, are you willing to, um, you know, fight over a, a meal that you paid for that is yours and it's on the table? Maybe, you know, you might be some arguments, whatever. If someone's trying to hurt your child, like now it's like, oh, well, now I'm willing to die for that. That's when, you know, I'm willing to fight for a certain thing. And I think that tells you a lot about who you are as a person of like, what are the things that you are willing to fight for? And, and you know, I don't want to constantly bring it back to martial arts, but I think that's true in a lot of ways. And I think that's why you see these hardcore Bitcoin people is because they are willing to fight for what they believe in. This isn't, this isn't a game. Um, it, it's something that is their livelihood and their kids' livelihood is at stake here. Um, and their future is at stake. And that's why you're getting people who are working their asses off. Um, and some of the smartest people that I've ever run into or listened to that are pushing for this Bitcoin network. Um, that is absolutely game-changing and, and is the answer to, to all of our issues almost globally, you know, from politics to war to, you know, energy. To, I mean, it's just, it, I don't need to tell you, but anyways, this is why uh, people are so passionate about these things. And, and I think that there's a reason for that. So, so right. ask yourself, ask yourself, what are you willing to fight for? <laughs> Who are you in that moment? You know? You're so right. And, and that's what, um, ultimately led me to to start this this podcast uh, it was like you know everything you clearly inherently believe in to be you know like truth and is ethical and is going to help 
as many people as possible, like escape impossible situations. If you don't start a podcast and just start reaching out to people and, you know, if, if you can educate just one more person, then, you know, it's job done. And, you know, when, when that's why your tweet resonated with me so much, you know, when I see people that like yourself and, um, and Ross Kung and, um, I've had, uh, Adam, uh, Kovnatsky on the, um, on the show as well. He's a heavyweight boxer. Uh, Lucky Mukasana is a professional footballer. Danny De Kroger is a ex-baseball player. You know, the, it, it, it takes it. I know like you guys are in the, in the public spotlight and you might be used to a, a modicum of fame or whatever, but to come out and start talking about something as weird as Bitcoin, you, you run the risk of losing a lot of fans, maybe losing a lot of engagement. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel about that? When, when you're, when was your first tweet about Bitcoin? Was that, was that just recently or have you done it before? Uh, no, you know, I, and- I've definitely tweeted about Bitcoin before. Um, you know, I, I, I'll say this. I think that, you know, Russ and, you know, any boxer, any combat sports guy, you know, maybe hockey guys and, and, and a lot of athletes, right? It's like your body's on the line. Um, and I think more so for combat sports. And if you are putting your body on the line, you're putting your brain on the line, um, you want to you want to get paid for it and you want to make sure that it's worth it. You know, I, I don't know if anything's worth the cost of your brain, but if you're going to do it, uh, you might as well get paid as much as possible and have some kind of form of exchange that you can point at 20 years down the line, 30 years down the line after you're dead that you could say, this is what I've attained and I'm delivering this now to my kids. And, and I love the analogy that Michael Saylor uses as far as, you know, your life force, your energy, your monetary energy. And, and that's exactly what it is. Um, and, and I think that being able to do that and knowing that it's not going anywhere and you know what, actually having it grow, you know, instead of deplete it is a technology and it's living in the sky, wherever the hell it is, you know, in the ether, you know, that is something that is so powerful where you don't need a bank account. You don't need someone telling you what to do with your money or when you can send your money or how you can spend your money or knowing about all the things that you're doing with your money. I mean, this is, you start to realize like, wait a sec, am I free? Am I actually free? You know, do I have ownership over my own money? I think when you really think about it and you learn about it, you realize you don't. And I think Bitcoin changes that, right? Bitcoin fixes this, if you will. (laughs) So I think, um, you know, that is something that is so special and it's a technology that is so genius. Um, And it it just, if if you are sacrificing your body to get paid in something, why would you do it and get paid in something that is going to deplete or has the potential to, to deplete or has the potential to be manipulated? Um, or if, again, you know, other things are costing more and now you find out that, you know, your hope for your, for your daughter or your son to one day go to the university or to learn or travel, whatever it is, that now they can no longer do that or they don't have that opportunity to do it. Okay, sure. Maybe, you know, it's important for them to learn how to do that and all that stuff. But, you know, aren't we as parents supposed to 
try to give them the best opportunities possible to do what they what they want to do and give them the tools to be able to achieve what they want to achieve and and i think that like you know the ability to do that through bitcoin is far greater than you know with our current system yeah it totally is and talking about you know your 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 journey your journey into the ring and um and parents again how the hell did your mum watch you do those fights like come on <laughs> she did she actually did she would wait till the results and then she would maybe watch it uh but usually it was you know she was just a nervous wreck watching the fights and you know the hardest thing was even just telling my parents that I wanted to be a full-time martial artist. Like they were like, it was almost like I was speaking a different language, you know? And I told them, okay, so I had graduated from Boston college. I was working at a, uh, a translation agency, uh, you know, kind of in the financial sector. And uh, that, you know, I left that job. I quit that job. And I was supposed to go to uh, law school, by the way, after that. And my parents were like, what, what are you doing? You want to do what? You want to be a martial artist? What does that even mean? How are you going to make money? And if you do make money, that's not going to, that's not going to support you. You know, what are you, what are you crazy? And so I had to fight with that perception for a while. And, you know, it went from me being, you know, Dr. Florian's son to now him being my dad, you know, and after a while, like people know who you are, like, you know, people, People know that you do stuff or you were on television or now you're, you know, you, they did a Boston, the Boston Globe wants to do an article on you or, you know, so once they started seeing this, they're like, wait a sec, this is a real thing. He can actually maybe make something of his life. And, you know, I ended up making a career out of it. And, and that ended up leading to me being a, a, a TV analyst uh, for, for the sports, for ESPN, for Fox Sports and, you know, having my own show and you know, starting my own YouTube channel and, you know, teaching people about jiu-jitsu and having a couple of gyms, one on the West Coast and one on the East Coast. And now I only have one on the East Coast. So it's led to so many different opportunities that I, I never would have imagined. And I think that, you know, if you have a passion for something and if you love what you do and if you're willing to work your ass off because you believe in it, then you absolutely should do it. You, you, you don't know if you don't try. And, and I think that... Um, Fear is one of the most devastating things to, uh, you know, it, it stops people from their dreams, from achieving their dreams. And sometimes you just got to try it and go for it. And if you fail, who the hell cares? Learn from it and do it better. So true. Fear is such a crippler. I love the fact that your dad spent, you know, his his whole life trying to get people back out of hospital and you spent your whole life trying to <laughs> exactly exactly you're right i never realized you're you're absolutely right the irony in that uh it's so funny <laughs> well I, I you you talked about earlier as well you know crossing the four weight divisions what how do you do that like that that's that's crazy. And I think, did you even go up and then back down again? Or did you just work your way up? Or so, that you- so here's the deal. All right. So when I was on the Ultimate Fighter, um, I think I had never fought above 170 pounds. I, I never cut weight in my life prior to 
uh, even being in the UFC. I, I, and cutting weight is when you kind of you have to go on an, uh, a very strict diet and you got to dehydrate yourself essentially for about 24 hours or so, maybe even two days. You make weight, you get on the scale, and then about 24 to 30 hours after that, you fight. So the idea is that you know if two masses are coming together, uh, that one of those advantages would be if this mass is larger than the other, and when every time they collide, this guy should have the advantage in theory. Um, so that's why people try to cut weight, boxers, wrestlers, fighters. That's why you know they're, they're looking for that advantage. So I was about 170 pounds, and I was asked to be on the show, The Ultimate Fighter. And, and my division would be 185 pounds, where people are cutting down from as big as 215 pounds, 210 pounds, to cut weight down to 185, make the weight, and then fight again. And then on fight night, you're right around 210 pounds again. So it's it's a kind of science in and of itself. It's not the healthiest thing, but people do it, and that's what's happening. So I was fighting guys that were just monsters. They were way bigger than me and had way more experience. So I had really had to learn as much as I could, as fast as I could. Uh, and luckily, I was able to make it to the finals. Uh, I lost in the finals. I, you know, I won a, a, a match or two leading up to it. And then, um, you know, and then I fought at the 170 pound weight class when I was in the UFC. That was the lightest weight class they had at the time. So it was right up my weight class. So again, I didn't really have to cut any weight at all. Um, I went undefeated at 170 pounds and then they brought in the 155 pound division. Um, I fought uh, twice for the world championship at 155 pounds. Um, and that was really my weight class. So I, I did cut some weight to, to get down there. Uh, it wasn't easy, but it also wasn't extremely hard. But then there was an opportunity to, to maybe fight for the belt at 145 pounds. I was really on this pursuit to become a, a world champion uh, in the UFC. And, um, you know, I, I had this opportunity to, to fight at 145 pounds. I said, you know what, I'm going to try. I, I met with some nutritionists. I, I wanted to see if it was possible. And I basically killed myself to make 145 pounds, not once, but twice. And I went through a grueling uh, diet. It was like 1,500 calories a day for like two months. It was it was brutal. It was stupid. Training mm. three times a day. You know, before I even uh, could eat anything, I'd get up, I'd put sweats on, like sweatshirts, sweatpants, and jump on a bike for like an hour. And then I could eat. You know, that was how I started like every single day. So, it, so you know – a couple things. It was not the healthiest thing. I, I probably took a few years off my life doing that. But, <laughs> but what it did do is it did teach me that, you know, anything that we set our mind to, we can achieve it. And, you know, you may fall short, but um, you're going to learn a lot about about that process. And, and I did end up fighting. I, I won the fights that I needed to do at 145 pounds and fought for the world championship again at 145 pounds against against who many people believed was the number one fighter in the world, uh, pound for pound. And um, I went the full distance. It was a close fight. Um, I had no energy before the fight. I literally did no warm up before the fight because I felt like my body just literally had no strength and no energy. And uh, I ended up getting to the fight and it wasn't too bad. Uh, I wish I would have done better. I wish I would have been able to perform better. But I think the lesson in that was that I can't achieve anything I, I set my mind to and that, you know, what may seem impossible is possible with the right mindset and with the hard work. And um, every fight, whether I won or lost, I, I always improved and always got better. And 
everyone always asks me, you know, what, what's your proudest victory? It's not necessarily, I'm not proud of any single victory. I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I always got better and I always improved. Uh, and, and that's, that's what we're all here for. We, we all are looking for ways to evolve and get better. And, 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 uh, yeah. There's many more victories to come, my friend. Yes, exactly. So, I hope so. Don't don't worry about that. And um, the the fight you were referencing, um, sorry, it, would you mind mentioning the? Yeah, sure. The no, of course. Name? That was again. That was a fight against uh, Jose Aldo. Like it's spelled like right. Jose, but in in Brazil they they pronounce the J. So Jose Aldo, um, and he was the 145 pound champion at the time, uh, who later would go on to be defeated for the very first time against Conor McGregor. That was uh, Conor McGregor's very famous 13 second knockout uh, over Jose Aldo, which was um, considered one of the biggest upsets of all time. Uh, so uh, pretty interesting story there, but yeah, so that was, that was that, that was back in 2011 in the UFC. Did you beat him up in a, in a keep you up competition though before? Like uh, I did, I did exactly. That well, was the one we did a little, yeah, we did a little kick. So I got, I got at least one. Bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, that through my, through my research for, for the interview, I came across that and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Like these guys are, you're in <laughs> yeah, the ring. Yeah. And people were asking me and they're going, you know, how do you feel? And I was like, I feel great. And then they asked me to do this, you know, juggling or kick up competition. Right. And I, I, Daniel, I mean, I had no strength. I had no energy. And I'm like, but if I said no, then everyone would be like, kind of know that I was weak. So I had to like pretend that I was fine. So, yeah. You, you <laughs> reminded me of Daniel LaRusso doing those kickups, I got to tell you. But the, <laughs> exactly. what I found, what I found unfair was you guys had to do them barefoot. I can't do kickups barefoot. I didn't grow up on a beach, right? I grew up in England where we're always wearing boots because it's freaking cold. Right. You give me, me a too. ball. You give me a ball and I'm wearing, I got no shoes on. I'm crapping out at like three or four. And, you know, I'll just go straight to feel. the knees. You know, it's a it's, different feel for sure. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. So, and it also said, seeing as we're on this, and I, I did want to ask you about this because, um, you know, it's a big thing, right? You, you put in so much work and so much effort. You dedicate your life to this. Um, and on your Wikipedia, it, it says something like, uh, I'll paraphrase, it's, you know, um, widely regarded as um, the best fighter to have never won a UFC championship mm. and uh, or a UFC title, whatever, a belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, excuse me if I'm um, not using the right terminology. How does that... How does that feel? Because I can't imagine, you know, none of us can listening. We have no idea the effort and the hours and the sacrifice you guys make uh, and and across all disciplines, right? Any sport. Um, and one, one example springs to mind. And I, on our warm-up conversation uh, last week, we were talking about we're big F1 fans. I remember seeing a, an interview with Nigel Mansell where the the, um, the interviewer brought up the the subject of the, the World Championship in Adelaide where he got a puncture and the whole thing was thrown away. And he had to take like a, a moment. He had to take like 30 to 45 seconds before he he could even respond to the question because it's so deeply ingrained and, you know, like everything just was, was blown away. Uh, excuse the pun. So... 
to have been that close three times, Kenny, it's it, it must, you know. And I'm sorry if I'm asking too deep a question, but no. What? How? How? How have you? How did you deal with that? And mm-hmm. how? You know, going forward, it's it's something that's always going to be part of you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's a great question. I, I think that I, I've tried to make sense of it. I'll say this. I, I always knew I got into mixed martial arts fighting, so I, I should have set this up a little better. I started training in jiu-jitsu and Brazilian jiu-jitsu again in college. I was 20 years old when I started martial arts again. So I did martial arts as a kid for maybe four years, five years. Uh, and then, you know, didn't see it until I was in college. So you can kind of rule out that karate experience to a certain extent, I guess. Um, so I started very late. I, I started at 20 years old. And I always said, you know, to myself and to other people that my biggest opponent is time. Um, and I think it's, it's all of our biggest opponent, right? Uh, time always wins eventually. Uh, so I think that I didn't have a whole lot of time. Like these other guys that got into the sport, uh, you know, they were already fighting. Like I I didn't have a whole lot of experience. So I knew that I had to be able to learn faster than anybody that I knew. So, gee, so at 20 years old, you know, at 28, you know, after eight years, I was already, you know, involved in, you know, a couple professional mixed martial, mixed martial arts fights. So I was in the UFC at like 28 already like only after a year and a half i think of fighting i was already in the ufc i was it's like playing college football for a year and then you know being in the nfl it was like yeah here you go man good luck you know so i I didn't have a whole lot of experience so i i had to learn the hard way i was thrown right into the fire so you know i I did understand that um all and what really intrigued me about martial arts more than anything else and what i thought i would do and be was a teacher and i think i set my intention to a certain way that i was like i want to be an instructor that's how i envisioned myself i want to be uh, a teacher and um you know perhaps i i set that intention too strongly or whatever i mean i, I don't want to i'd be lying to say i didn't want to be a world champion i absolutely did and i tried my ass off uh to, to try to make that happen so I guess looking back on that, you know, I, I do remind myself that I am a student more than anything else, and I, I want to be a master student. Um, and with, with anything, with everything that I do, I try to learn and evolve. And um, although I wasn't able to become a champion, um, I do think at the same time, it, uh, you know, it's almost like those things that have slipped through my hands um has allowed me to fight for it that much harder um whereas perhaps i don't know that maybe if i did grab it that it would have sucked out my curiosity um and maybe my willingness to learn and evolve i don't know i don't know that but because of those things because of me not being able to become a world champion in the ufc i think that um you know, it, it is something that I'm like, it, it hurts. And that hurt also can drive you to learn and, and be better and evolve consistently. And I guess that's kind of the lesson out of it for me is that I didn't achieve that, but 
that means that there's so much more for me to learn and continue and, and continuing to learn. And I want to capture as much of that as I can. And, um, and, and that's what I've continued to do. I, I feel like even at 44 years old, I would uh, beat the snot out of a 30-year-old Kenny Florian. You know, I, I truly believe that. I think that my, my body might not feel the same, but I do think that I have a certain amount of wisdom and experience and knowledge that I, I definitely did not have before. So, um, yeah, but I think that, you know, pain isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I think it, it it motivates and it drives and it pushes you. Um and we shouldn't fear it. And sometimes it's it's a really good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing we talk about in Bitcoin a lot is um, is time. Uh, you know, you touched on it. You know, it's the only thing we've got. And yeah. um, from studying the Austrian economic side of things, uh, opportunity cost. And you, you sometimes wonder, well, let's go down that rabbit hole. Like, you know, if you had won all of those championships... You wouldn't be the person you are right now. We, we might not even be having this call. You might not even found Bitcoin. I don't know the timeline of that right. exactly. No, exactly. I, I think about that a lot. I, I don't know. You know, who knows? You know, there, there's levels of maturity. I, I would like to think that I wouldn't have spent all my money, that I would have gone back and worked just as hard. I, I think I, I would have been that way. But again, who knows? You know, I think that we are all susceptible to uh, various levels of corruption, I think, in, in, in various ways. You know, it's like that's what makes Bitcoin so special in a lot of ways. And I think that, you know, maybe if I was champion, that I would have been lured into a life of partying and, you know, all this other stuff or who knows? I, I don't know. You know, doing all this media to the point where now I'm not training and I'm not becoming the, the thing that I wanted to be as a martial artist and I'm being pulled in all different directions. I think we've seen that with a lot of different champions across very many different sports, they forget what got them to the dance. Um, and now they think that they've gotten this thing and they don't have to work as hard. And so I don't know, maybe that, that, that could have been the case with me. I don't know, but I, I do think that it has given me a certain level of, um, you know, humility and has kept me hungry and has kept me curious. Um, and cause sometimes when you're at the top, you think you have all the answers. And I think that's a very dangerous place to be. And I think this is why people are resistant to change and are, are, are resistant for things like uh, resistant to things like Bitcoin. Yeah. You would definitely have a Lambo by now, Kenny, if you'd want to. You know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and probably no One sats. Lambo. One Lambo. <laughs> what, um, did, what, what kind of, uh, how do you think about what what what's changed in if you if you could wind the clock back because you had to retire you were forced into retirement right as far yes. as I understand it you were you were you were training for an even another weight division or not what, what? no so I was going to go back to 155 pounds and right uh, and I was training and and it hurt my back to the point where I couldn't really do anything for a couple of years actually so I had to kind of battle back to to get healthy again. And, uh, by that time I was kind of deep into, uh, TV work and, and being an, an analyst. And I said, you know what, it, my time has passed. I, I you know, I, I wanted to make sure my body was healthy. And if I wasn't, uh, physically uh, capable to doing things at the best of my ability, I know my time was up. You know? How much do you think 
It, it sounds a bit cheesy for those, for, for definitely for newbies that, that might be listening to the show. But um, those of us that have been here a little while, we understand that Bitcoin, you know, when you start interacting with it, it, it changes you at a, like a, a very deep level, like philosophical, you know, mindset, fundamental mind shifts. Um, how do you think that would have affected your your fighting style if you if you were to step back in the ring? You know, if you can imagine a thirty year old Kenny Florian with um, mm. with the wisdom that uh, that you have now since interacting with Bitcoin, what would have changed? Do you think? Oh man, um, I think I would have been more cognizant of the importance of savings. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, and, and Michael Saylor talked about this, uh, about, um, the importance of defense, um, and security. Um, and, and I always kind of had this mindset with myself is that like people forget, you know, martial arts is really self-defense. It's not self-offense, it's self-defense. And that, you know, if you can, make yourself in some ways impenetrable if you can create a fortress or if you can create a system of defense where um, first you want to be preoccupied with not getting hit right or or basically uh, not allow yourself to take damage or a lot of damage that that's like your number one thing because i can be very deadly and i can go out there uh with my gun but i'm completely exposed and yes i have a gun but then there's three other people that have seen me and now i'm I, they shoot they shoot me and i'm dead Um, so first it's like, well, how can I be, you know, have amazing defense, the the best that you can. And also how can I be, um, you know, safe in that process and sneaky in that process? Uh, and then how can I be effective offensively? And, And I think, you know, if you look at the Bitcoin network and, uh, essentially, you know, especially right now, how impenetrable it is, um, you know, I think that's its strength. Um, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, you look at superheroes like Wolverine or, you know, Wolverine's claws aren't what makes him an amazing superhero. It's like, you can't kill the guy. You can't kill him. You, you know, no matter, no matter what he, he's like 900 years old, you can break him in half. You can cut him, you can stab him, you can shoot him and you, you can't get rid of them. And that's kind of what Bitcoin is. So I think that le- that lesson, I think, is, you know, looking at the network and how it functions, you're like, this thing is, it's like a living organism that you can't kill. It, it only gets stronger. Uh, and, and it spreads out and grows. And that, to me, is is amazing. And I think there's so many lessons on a martial arts uh, perspective that is extremely powerful. I think you just made another meme up, Kenny. This is uh... <laughs> Wolverine is Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, Forget man. the honey badger, and, yeah. you know, or, or maybe it's a mix. Maybe it's the Wolver badger, um, the, or the the honey the honey green. Um, what? <laughs> who are the people that you know? Something obviously something made you curious. Obviously you fell down a rabbit hole, but then you, you got to start grabbing onto branches, right? On Or roots on the way down. And whether that's podcasts or articles or books, who was it for you that, that started helping you slowly understand and, and grasp what, what this thing is? A, a Bitcoin or? Yeah, Bitcoin, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, geez, it, there's been a lot of people, um, you know, Pierre Rochard, 
was one of the first guys that really got me going. Um, uh, Jimmy Song played a played a part as well. Um, you know, I, I think uh, just a, a bunch of different uh, whether it was friends, uh, books, uh, YouTube. Um, I think we have access to so much information now. Uh, you know, Twitter, you know, as far as like the people that I follow uh, Bitcoin uh, on, you know, Bitcoin wise, it, like I've learned so much, I, you know, typically Twitter is just like uh, it's it's horror. It's a horrible place. <laughs> it's just <laughs> fighting and bickering and, you know, it's like a war zone and like everyone's shit and trashes everywhere. Pardon my French. But, uh, you know. But with, with the Bitcoin community, you know, yeah, you, you'll get some harshness here and there, but you really can learn a lot from people um, on, on, on just, you know, the various tweets or the articles that they're sharing and the, the various types of information and, you know, really getting down to the fact Jameson Lopp was a, an early guy that I started following. And so, you know, I love hearing the many different perspectives and, you know, people are pretty silly and you know, they're always like, Oh, well, you notice how Bitcoin changed from being this to now, you know, Bitcoiners are pointing that it does this or now it does that. It's like it does all those things, dummy. It does. It, it is a constant growing force. It is, it is evolving and adapting before your own eyes. And it, 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 it's not it's not just a savings technology and it's not just a hedge against inflation. It is so much more. And the possibilities are so much more. I mean, you know, you think it's like. You know, whether it's uh, Social Security here in this country or Medicare or Medicaid or, you know, the various insurance policies, like what if that started being held in Bitcoin? Well, you know, what would that do? Could that save the different systems that we have going on? So, the, you know, the, again, it, it is um, it's an amazing thing. And I've learned so much and, and it truly is a, a great community to uh learn about. And, and you get to you get to be inspired as well by all the hard work that's being done everywhere i mean i can't even imagine uh, so much of the stuff that's been going on behind the scenes uh you know people tend to just see someone like you know with with the championship belt or see someone win or see someone on the number one spot on the podium but no one sees all the hard work that it takes to get there and all these people that are developing things you know are doing these things when nobody's watching and you know staying up late at nights and coding and whatever it is else they're doing it's uh it's it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, it's totally inspiring, and it's so nice as well when um, when you get that recognition when when somebody reaches out and says, you know, thanks for building this product, or, or thanks for writing this article, or thanks for writing this book, or thanks for you know doing this podcast, and to have people like yourself come out. You know, last time I checked, you've got like three over three hundred thousand followers, and you're talking about bitcoin kenny and you know, <laughs> well, you know you've got a lot of young kids following you right this is the cool thing because you're not just ufc right you do the robot wars as i know them in the uk mm -hmm. and you call them something yeah. else in in the u.s Battlebots, yes yeah Battlebots, right you gotta yeah. it's so and again you made a decision to start tweeting about this you, you could have stayed completely silent and nobody could have ever known that you ever owned it because, you know, there's OPSEC and whatever else. But something something pushed you, something told you this is right, 
something you know within you said more people need to know about this and i'm going to put my reputation on the line and push this you know i i, I believe in it i i truly do and you know I, I think it goes beyond just trying to make money i think it's um at the end of the day trying to uh, make this world better, make it more efficient and, and give people opportunity to learn and uh, change their life. And, you know, it's, you know, podcasts uh, like yours and, and the other ones that I've been digesting are, are so helpful. And, you know, I, I people come to really follow me on social media to see what I have to say about martial arts or fighting or whatever it is. And, you know, um, it, it's been cool to get feedback and have people go, oh, wow, like you're into Bitcoin too. That's really cool. Or, or you know, I have people who have hit me up, random people that said, hey, I heard you tweet something or I saw your tweet about Bitcoin and now I'm into Bitcoin, man. It's the most amazing thing ever. And I'm like, whoa, I forget. And I think we all kind of forget how quickly we can communicate to everywhere in the world via the internet. You know, it, it's just an amazing thing. Bitcoin is going to do the same thing with money. Um, I truly believe that uh, the speed in which you can communicate, the speed in which you can deliver money, the, the places you can go, the places you can reach, um, the communities you can form. Um, it, it's it's amazing. We're, we're living in an amazing time. Uh, and there is a lot of chaos. There's a lot of craziness going on. Uh, but there's a lot of beautiful things going on as well. The craziness has always been there, I would argue. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, like the, the, there's true. always... There's always been a riot on the street somewhere, um, you know, wherever. Uh, but but what's going on right now with Bitcoin? You know, play this out in ten years. What what do you see? You know, uh, in ten years, I, I truly believe that um, we will be past a million dollars as far as the mark. I, I, I do as far as the price. Um, I, I think that. Um, it can only be denied for so long. I think this is an asset that has been maturing. Um, and I think, you know, in a way, slowly for a reason and slowly for a good thing. I think it's it takes time for even an amazing genius thing like Bitcoin um, to catch fire and solidify and harden. And, and, uh, and I think that um, I, I see governments uh holding bitcoin i see uh if you're if you're a finance financial institution and you don't have bitcoin i think you're going to be in deep trouble i think you'll be out of business um i think anyone who does any kind of business internationally whether you're a small business or, or a large uh you know uh global business you better have bitcoin or you're going to go out of business um i see uh, various uh, people that are going to come out of nowhere and create a lot of amazing businesses. I see um, a, a big push towards trying to make us a more energy efficient world. Um, you know, and that's the big knock on Bitcoin is like, oh, but look how much energy expense. It's like, well, yeah, man, if, if you want to get to the moon, you can't take a car and you can't take a horse. You know, you're going to need some serious energy. So, you're going to need a rocket and that rocket takes a lot of fuel and it's the same thing with with bitcoin but i think it's going to it's going to get people to realize okay bitcoin is staying we're here now what what can we do uh, to make us more energy efficient you know there's a big ball up in the in, in the sky uh, that produces a lot of energy how do we make that 
uh, a better process and how do we utilize that more efficiently and how do we make that more effective or how would he, how do we use wind and water and whatever to 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 make us a more energy efficient so i think there's that i also think that like you know i don't know if it's in 10 years because you know we kind of are uh you know still pretty tribal and we like to protect stuff and fight but uh I also think that it's going to make the world and has the potential to make the world a, a, a more peaceful place. And we can actually exchange and do business uh, on a more trustworthy level. And um, so I, I see a lot of amazing things. I mean, it, it's uh, Bitcoin is everything. It's a philosophy. It's 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 a way of life. And, uh, you know, it's I, I see I see a whole new world in 10 years. I really do. One of us. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Kenny Florian dropping the mic or, or a drop kick. It doesn't matter. Like, uh, th there you go. Um, all right, Kenny, we could talk all night, I, I, I swear. Uh, but we've been going uh, an hour and a half. Um, I'll, I'll start trying to wrap it up, but goodness knows where this might take us. If you had one orange pill left to give, who would you give that to and why? I've I've had a lot of arguments with my brother Keith <laughs> over Bitcoin, and you know, it, I'll tell you what I I I really you know people think it's like I'll I'll tweet about Bitcoin and people were like, oh you're trying to get people to go into the Ponzi scheme so you can make money. I don't care. Like some guy investing you know even a million dollars or a billion dollars isn't going to move the price to the point where I'm like, yay! Now I got you know. I, I think it's important for the people that I care about, my family members, my, my, my tribe who cares about saving and wants to, you know, provide for some kind of opportunity for their kids. And, you know, I, I've had a long conversation with my brother, Keith, about, you know, Bitcoin. He hasn't bought in yet, but, you know, it, it, it it's simple. He's a close family member who I love, who I would love to, uh, you know, get him to, to at least dip his toes into Bitcoin. He hasn't done it yet. I'm still working on it. But, uh, you know, that's that's about as real as I can get on on that uh, answer. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I love those responses. Um, m many of us try and think of, well, like I said before, Joe Rogan is the the number one answer. Um, some people have come up with uh, with Elon Musk, who's been flirting with the idea on Twitter recently. Yes. With, it's pretty funny, you know, what you were just saying then, um, you know, you want to build a rocket, uh, you're going to have to use a hell of a lot of fuel. And you're like, yeah, that, you know, it kind of offsets everything he's done with Tesla, I suppose. <laughs> you know, he's probably he's probably about neutral on the whole carbon debate anyway, <laughs> the amount of freaking fuel he's burnt. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, that, that that's that's interesting uh, how that dynamic is playing Daniel, out. what's your, I'm curious, what's your take on that? I mean, you got to think someone like Elon Musk is going to take a deep dive and look at Bitcoin and say, why, why isn't he doing it? I mean, what do you, what do you think? You think he's going to, he's, he's going to, he's either got, he's either got really excellent OPSEC and is just, um, you know, cause he, he's pretty, he's pretty, um, astute with retweeting some of the, the Bitcoin memes that have been around for a little while. So he's either, right. but he still says, ah, oh, I think he told JK Rowling he had 0 0.025 or something like that. Yeah. You know, a yeah. Tiny amount. So he's either got really great OPSEC or he's not the genius. We all think he is. It's that simple. <laughs> right. 
Because if he doesn't get it, he's just a fucking fraud. Right? Uh, It's how can you not get it? So many of us are plebs, see it, and we are nowhere near rocket science. Uh uh So it's a real, I don't know, man. It's, you know, what's the game? It's really, if it's OPSEC, then of course, hats off. You know, right. Why not? Right. He's, you know, he's smart enough to have lawyers and and whatever else and multi-sig upon multi-sig and, you know, God knows how many different, you know, he could probably write software or we believe, we're willing to believe he could write software for his own hardware wallets. So, yeah, it's um, interesting, huh? um, Yeah, it is. I have given this thought. Yeah, I... I, uh... I'm hopeful. I, I think that uh, I, I would like to think that uh, a free thinker and a guy who likes to use, you know, the, the first principles method uh, that he is, you know, either making that dive or, you know, trying to figure out financially how he can get it done. Um, but, you know, w- what a move that would be. And again, Michael Saylor kind of started it all. This guy is a, a true trailblazer and, and a real genius. And um, I, I think Elon Musk is as well, of course, but, um, yeah, I, I, I'm just kind of baffled by how he hasn't seen it. And, and maybe he has, and he's working on it. But I think, me personally, I think that he does a lot of things with like a little bit of jest and a little bit of truth, a little bit of jest. And I right. think he is slowly making that move. We'll see. We will see. And, you yeah. know, it'd be great again if he, somebody with however millions of followers he has on Twitter um, can... Because a lot of plebs follow him, right? And if he starts talking favorably about Bitcoin, you know, it's not going to move the price, really. Right. Honestly, right. that's not what it's about. But it's if it's going to set up a chain reaction, really, more than anything else, right? It's exactly. Like, yeah. Um, amongst people uh, who need it the most uh, and looking for that that lifeboat, who don't have anywhere near even hundreds of thousands, let alone millions or billions. You know, this is what um, Bitcoin's all about, and this is what uh, we're here for, and, and discussing these these ideas and sharing these podcasts. Um, so yeah, uh, I just hope more and more people come to the um, come to the table and, and start helping uh, spread the message because that's what's going to help us cross the chasm into into mass adoption, and we all see a much brighter future under this monetary standard. It's, uh, you know, I can't take the smile off my face right now just talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) There's no doubt about it. Well, Kenny, is there anything we haven't touched on that you you really wanted to discuss or? uh... No, no. You know, I guess uh, for anyone who is a a martial artist who who wants to learn about martial arts, um, I I did start a YouTube channel about uh, a little over a month ago, if, if you're interested in that. And, uh, yeah, just excited for the future. And, you know, whether you're a Bitcoiner or thinking about Bitcoin or a Bitcoin denier, I would just say, you know, do your homework. And, you know, even just kind of taking down those walls and looking at something with with a fresh perspective and, and with curiosity as opposed to already having an idea of what you think it is, um, is an impediment to so many different things. And I think going in there with an open mind and learning with humility, I think people will eventually see uh, the beauty of it. And you know what? By the time 
people realize this is a real thing, just like, you know, when you go on your phone and you Google something, you kind of take that for granted, you know, by that time, Bitcoin's going to be so expensive that, you know, you really won't, won't be able to, to participate in a way. So, um, I, I you know, I started doing it in 2017 and me looking at the price, it was like around a thousand or a thousand bucks or something like that, maybe a little more, I don't know. Um, and me saying, I, I don't know, it's too expensive. It's not. And, and I think people will be saying that every single time they see the price and mm -hmm. sometimes you just kind of have to dive in. Totally. Especially, you know, those coming to it new now that, that they're on the, they have the, the misfortune of being able to look back in history. Oh, but it was, I mean, like at the time of recording, it's like 37,000. Last yeah. week it was 30. You know, last month it was 20. Like, why the hell would I buy now? And, oh my God, this thing used to be a thousand back in 2017. No way. Yeah. That's why it's, uh, yeah, just, just dip your toe in very, very slowly. Yeah. Um, and do you have a rally cry for Joe Rogan? <laughs> I absolutely do. Joe, if you're hearing this, I would love to come on your podcast. It's been too long since I've spoken to you anyway. And uh, yeah, maybe one day. Dreams do come true eventually. I, I would love, I've always wanted to be on the Joe Rogan podcast regardless, but I would love to uh, do my part in, in whatever way possible to, um, you know, talk about Bitcoin and other stuff. And, and I do think it's, it's a game changing thing and would be a game changing for, for mixed martial arts fighters and people that are looking to invest and, um, you know, save their extremely hard earned money uh, in, in a brutal sport. So, um, yeah, man, that's awesome. Hornets, do your work. Let's let's meme Kenny onto the <laughs> yes. Let's meme, let's meme Kenny onto the Joe Rogan show, and get him talking about pod, uh, Bitcoin to to all of those uh, listeners, uh, the perfect demographic as well. Kenny, uh, I can't thank you enough, man, for what you're doing, um, for for agreeing to come on the show, for getting straight back to me after reaching out. Uh, I know you're going to go on John's show as well, so that's amazing. Any other podcasts uh, that you can hit, uh, they all help. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly sure the overlap, but, uh, you know, each one of us seems to have like a, a slightly different audience and, and definitely different questions. So, uh, And thank you so much, man. I, I've been a fan of your podcast uh, ever since I saw Sailor on it, and I've watched a lot of them. And, uh, again, you know, just being able to communicate and, and spread the word about Bitcoin and its importance and to be able to deliver it in a fun, uh, entertaining way is, is, is an art in and of itself. So congratulations on that. And, and thank you for having me on. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to the next time when, um, well, hopefully we'll meet in person. Let's, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we got to do this again, man. We'll definitely yeah. do it again. Hopefully I've not pissed you off. So, uh, you know. <laughs> not, at <all. laughs> not at all. <laughs> cheers kenny take care thank you man hey guys thank you for listening and kenny thank you so much again for taking the time to come on the show and talk about uh, almost everything i think we covered there uh, you know your your upbringing your family's move from from peru yeah your father's profession you becoming a ufc fighter your, your thoughts around Bitcoin, where this is headed, uh, martial arts in general, answering the girls' questions. I think we covered it all. It was amazing. And so 
humbling to to have somebody of uh, of your stature coming out uh, amongst your community where you've obviously got a, a huge following and talking about bitcoin and raising this um this issue with not the not just the people that you are surrounded by each day with with um, you know your friends your family your your peers other fighters but your your fans you know that that that's that's just such a, a huge leap and uh you know everybody here in the bitcoin community that's doing work to try and educate as many people as possible we really appreciate it when people with a voice like yours as strong as yours uh and as measured as yours quite frankly can come out and, and talk at length and uh so eloquently about about bitcoin it just it, it really helps other people start to, to understand uh, what it can mean for them and their family really um th th there's so much to, to take away from this um i hope anybody listening uh will share this one uh, around far and wide uh hopefully it will find people in the the ufc community as well all of the fans there i i hold my hands up and uh, apologize to any hardcore ufc fans that are listening to this if i've butchered any of the questions or terminology here as i explained to kenny this this is not a sport that i follow um and i have huge respect for for anyone within the sport obviously within any sport uh, because i understand the hard work that goes in um you know if you're if you're new here and you you you, you found this interview because you're part of kenny's uh uh following welcome brothers and sisters to the the rabbit hole of bitcoin there is a whole community here ready to to engage with you there's plenty more podcasts there's plenty of youtube content there's plenty of writing whether that's books or article form bitcoin twitter is the place to go if you're already on twitter following ufc just do a hashtag Bitcoin and go and see what's going on over there because it feels like UFC sometimes. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, interesting characters. Nobody there stands for any shit. This is all about truth and helping each other come with come with uh, an interest, and you will find a rabbit hole that that suits that suits you and your path and your journey and there will be people there to help you so uh we welcome anyone with open arms that are looking to come in with humility and, and learn about bitcoin uh, and hopefully more people like kenny will be able to to start engaging with their fan base and, and their audience and uh, and bring even more people in so that's a big welcome if you are listening from the ufc side of things uh, to the bitcoiners that are usually listening to this podcast thanks guys really appreciate the support getting a lot of uh, feedback recently uh, on many of the episodes uh, keep it up really um, thank you with the, uh, the the tweets and the retweets and the comments and the shares and the likes uh, if you're rating and reviewing really appreciate that as well uh, before we close out make sure you head over to swan if you're in the us swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten they will help you with your stack and sats journey and you'll get a free 10 bucks to start in the uk it's coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten and you get 30 percent reduced fees on the first three months uh, which would uh, likely add up to to more than 10 dollar uh, saving or 10 pound saving excuse me so get over there to one of those two companies if you are 
located anywhere else in the world. There are other services. I would make sure you check out at Friar Hass on Twitter. He has a list of all the dollar cost average or fiat cost average services. And he's a cool guy. You can go and find uh, our interview. And um, if you're looking to buy a gift for anybody going forward, you know where to go. It's Play Shamery at Play Shamery. And uh, of course, check out at Sats Ledger as well. They are unofficial shills. They are projects for kids and families. And I love them. And I think they're brilliant. So let's go, guys. I hope you enjoyed this show. I look forward to the next one. Take care. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.